0: Hello and welcome to the Humanizing Growth podcast series, brought to you by the Institute for Real Growth. Each week, IIT founders Frank von Driest and Mark DeSwan-Arens will be talking to global leaders and practitioners to discuss what it takes to drive human-centric growth. For more information, visit www.instituteforrealgrowth.com. Good
1: morning, everyone. For everyone um, that may not know... um, this uh, Humanized Growth series is a weekly or bi-weekly, depending um, on the season, a talk that we do with CEOs and CMOs that we consider to be leaders in the CMO field. And uh, Norman de is uh, certainly one of those leaders. I think that there are really only a few CMOs that um, qualify for the leader CMO role because they are pushing the industry further. Uh, Norman does this through his work, and we're going to focus a lot on that in this uh, conversation. Uh, But also through his industry memberships, he's both a board member at the MMA, at the ANA, and has always been very active in pushing the marketing boundaries further, combining those with the business boundaries, and and that's particularly interesting. Norman, it's um, very good to have you here. And before we really get into the content, uh, where
0: are you and how are you? i am just south of boston in massachusetts and uh, it's a beautiful day outside it looks just like the day you have there which is great yeah. and i am good no man there's so much to talk about and of course
1: we've we've prepared by uh, identifying some of the key topics that i think uh, it would be worthwhile to uh, discuss i think your journey is one of the most interesting and inspiring ones can you give me your perspective you can give a personal one but also a business one on um, you know the advent of COVID, and and where it's brought us,
0: you know when I think about it from a business standpoint, um, there's a couple of things that I took away from what happened. Um, the first is uh, the idea of leveling communication. So when you have a crisis, the the thing we did uh, and others I'm sure did, but we actually you know you meet every day, but th- that, that that's that's easy. What we did is we actually invited the next level down and the next level down to every phone call and what happened is the information flow both ways was a lot faster and a lot better and so the senior leaders were much more informed there was no loss in translation of communications and so even though now we feel a little bit for the moment less in immediate crisis we're still meeting very frequently not every day but but a few times a week with the same levels of people so that we have that communication flow back back and forth I think that's something to take take away. And I, I I really do mean that it's both ways. It's not just so that the second level down people can hear from the senior leadership, it's so that the senior leadership can hear from the second level down, right? And the second thing I'd say is, you know, the power of focus. And I when I think about what happens in so many organizations. Is that there's a ton mm. of voices there's a ton of people uh a ton of projects a uh, ton of people passionate about those projects and they all make sense like you know most of the time you've got rational people thinking about rational projects but in the end it fragments your attention and what happened in a situation like this is we you know for example at cvs we focused a lot right away of course in taking care of our employees making sure our customers are okay but then we leaned into to the testing idea And it's really given us a tremendous amount of focus. And so, you know, if you kind of look at where we are today, we're doing seventy percent of the retail testing in the country. It's actually had very positive impact on our brand. You know, that wouldn't have happened unless there was a crisis. And yet, what I think we have to do as leaders is say, is it really worth putting fragmented attention across all of those initiatives, or should we really lean into one that can have a meaningful impact, not just on our customers, but also on our brand and and, and who we are in the marketplace. Yeah, one point just to re-emphasize
1: that you mentioned, and that came out of the Institute for Real Growth Research as well, is this vertical connectivity. You may remember from our presentation that um, uh, we did a significant piece of work with LinkedIn, uh, one of the IRG partners on um, the connectivity of the organization. Of course, LinkedIn is a a wonderful way to test that because you can literally see whether people are connected, not just what they say, but it's what they do. But you're also able to look at the internal connectivity. And it turned out that in overperforming organizations, senior leaders were five times more connected to junior team members in the same organization. Marketing was also much better connected to other disciplines. These are measurable. And so it's very interesting to to hear that you've done that. Um, look, you talked about CVS's role, and um, before we get to the organization CVS, I'd, I'd like to just start with you. You, uh, in your background, were agency, you were a business consultant, and we'll talk about the relevance of that for the CMO role later. And then you came to CVS, and, and, and it, it it makes me wonder, um, you know, what's guiding those choices? And and really, I, I'll just cut right to the thrust. Do you know what your purpose is? Mm-hmm. And, and And if you do, How'd you get there? How long have you known it for?
0: Um, I do know my purpose. Uh, I know what motivates me at my core and it was not simple to get to and it did not come from sitting down one day saying, what's my purpose? Uh, it actually came from looking back on what really inspires me and motivates me truly at your core, what really exactly. do you think that is what, if I look at my actions, that is what I have spent my career doing. Maybe not directly, but indirectly as a, <laughs> as a common thread. And for me that is helping people realize their potential. And that is both within an organization and outside of an organization. And many times what I have seen there are situations in which the context has not enabled people to reach their potential. And in the end, that has caused them to not know what their potential is. And so I think when you, you know, and that hurts an organization and it also hurts your customers. But they, if you just kind of imply it to them, what they're capable of doing, taking care of themselves, taking care of others, doing things. And I think you really need to say, wouldn't we all be better off? Wouldn't we have more growth? Wouldn't communities be better off? if everybody could reach their potential versus having a few say we are reaching our potential and you're here to help us and that that is a core belief of mine i've seen it happen i've seen it uh, generate results and i think you got to go at it with a passion and uh, by the way it doesn't mean creating a war or division it means uh really working the whole system to enable people helping people upskill themselves because they have more potential than what they're doing today, having mm-hmm. them build that confidence and creating the openness for, uh, in the environment for them to be able to do that. So, so, you know, I just think for me, it's, it's always just about having people uh, realize whatever they can be.
1: So in your daily, uh, business life, how does that translate? What kind of yeah. choices does it, and does it guide where you otherwise people might take other choices?
0: It's kind of situational in a way where I've, where I've ended up in different places where I, you know, take CBS for example, you know, you, you, when you take organizations that have a tremendous amount of physical assets, the core uh, skill set that is elevated is really about operations, because there's a tremendous amount of value to get out of those physical assets. And so when you think about the marketing function at a place like CBS, but it's not just that, I would say it's any place with lots of physical assets. It's in a way... Um, a secondary function to uh, operational, financial kind of things. So when I came into CBS, I realized where we were. And I also knew the power of what uh, a marketing organization can do to not just grow a business, but unite, connect, inspire, drive emotional connectivity through an organization. And so that has led us on a path within the marketing function of really thinking about how do we build very tight relationships with our business partners so that we're actually inspiring them and bring them along and helping them achieve their goals versus trying to act like an independent function. Because when you do that, then you become part of the, the, the growth story and you become a valued partner. And you can see the people that when, within your organization, you can see them rise up. You can see them achieve things that they had never achieved before And when you do that, it's rewarding to you and and others. I would also say, though, that it comes from a combination of two things within your organization. Mm -hmm. High expectations. You, as a leader, need to have high expectations. You need to drive it. You need to be the best at what you do. That should be your goal. And getting there with kindness because people respond to kindness. You know my, my, sorry, I'm keep going Mark, you can stop me if you want to. But you know my-, no, my I, wife... I, I, I'm following and I'm, I think, I'm still thinking it's very interesting. I'll cut you off when I don't think so. All right, very All right, good. My, my wife is a, uh, she teaches second grade, first grade, kindergarten. And I tell you, there's just so much I've learned about leadership from her better skills at working with children than mine. But one that is fundamental is praise the behaviors you want and don't focus on the behaviors you don't want. And when you do that, you just see people doing more of what you want and their confidence building as a result, and it just turns into a cycle. So, so long answer, but, but when you think about, when I think about my purpose, exactly. it's, I, I really enjoy business. I enjoy growth, but at its core, it's helping people achieve their full potential. Their growth, personal growth. Well, you know, I don't think
1: it's a coincidence that you were the first CMO to raise their hand and say, hey, I want to teach in this uh, this IRG uh, construct which at the time was nothing not only do i want to thank you for that but you set a tone and I, I i have experienced that every time there is a an opportunity to mentor or share or challenge and be part of a dynamic where it is about personal growth you always uh, jump to the foray so that's uh, that's very recognizable let me move the conversation slightly more to the generic cmo role because you said a few things in your description here that i think are really important as you know the IRG was created at the time with the ANA and another of the, a few of the big partners because CMOs uh, were in many ways complaining about the fact that they were losing business relevance. They were being seen as uh, functional leaders, but not being seen as the true business partners. Now, your background is business consulting before you went into the agencies. Do you think having that in your you know your your luggage and bringing that to the foray and 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 acting like a business partner do you think that these are the things that uh, cmos need to be doing is that
0: uh, is that our future um well let me just first start with <clears throat> people complaining about losing relevance it's a free market you gotta drive your own relevance and if you're if you're worried about not feeling relevant you gotta change your, what you're marketing about yourself and your function, uh, and what you're actually driving for value. You know, you, you can't expect the world to change around you. You gotta first get into the world and then help change it. What does that mean when you get into the, the marketing function? Well, many times what you hear in the marketing function is a language that is not a language spoken anywhere outside of the marketing function and therefore people don't know how to deal with it. And then the second part that you have is organizations that run a lot on analytics and logic and frameworks and engineering. Uh, and then you hear somebody show up from an organization that's perceived as more creative, and they speak a language that sounds a little more fluffy. By the way, there's a lot of value in it, but I'm just saying in that conversation. There's a disconnect. Yeah, there's a disconnect. And in the kind of weighted average of an organization, marketing is gonna lose out because there are, you know, the majority of functions are not about that. What I found as a CMO, how to build strong relationships and enable the power of the organization is to first speak a language that is consistent with the language that is spoken already in the organization. And uh, that tends to be more about business, it tends to be more about finance, it tends to be uh, more about kind of functional, rational discussions. And when you can talk to them about, in, those, in that language, and then first talk to them about how marketing can help achieve the objectives that they're already on, and then deliver and build confidence with that, then, you really, then you're really in a different position. It is not to say that, sorry, go ahead, Mark.
1: Well, I, I wanted to just probe a little further there because you sit on two big industry boards. Mm-hmm. Let's take the ANA, yep. you know, the, the, the growth council sure. of the ANA. Um, and you look around you and you know the, the, the growth council meetings, maybe there's 30, 40 people. And then mm-hmm. yep. the, 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 the pre-ANA days, the CMO days, there's 300 people. So these are, these are the CMOs we're talking about. Yep. Give me a sense, I mean, you have that background. Uh, not a lot of people come from business consulting and then become a CMO. Um, their, their path was very different. Yeah. So when you look around you at the moment, what is the state of the CMO?
0: Well, it is different in different organizations. But so, you know, let's just say I'm going to give you an average answer. And there's, you know, there's segments within that average. The average answer is not good. The average answer is that the CMO is in a weak position in many organizations. And it's not for good reasons. I think the CMOs are really capable of driving a lot of growth and and bringing in new um, creativity and innovation. But, you know, just let me just back up for a second. Think about most organizations. If you think most organizations go through three stages of growth. Number one, there's an unmet need in the marketplace and they create a product or service to satisfy that need. That's actually a very kind of CMO-ish sort of job. It's also a very entrepreneurial sort of job. And mm-hmm. entrepreneurs and CMOs are, they really blend together. At, at the best, that they're kind of the same person, right? Uh, the, the, a CMO is a business person and an entrepreneur is a CMO. The second stage is, hey, I have these customer relationships. What more can I sell to them? And so what you're going to get in that stage is a lot of product innovation. So so you're starting to build a bigger organization, but at its core is how can I do product innovation and service innovation to make money off these relationships? And so you still have this idea of creativity coming through as a core cultural function. The third stage and the last stage until you reinvent yourself is really about operational efficiency. And that's a stage that most large companies are in. And so yeah. what happens in this stage? And there's a lot of value in this. I'm not criticizing this stage. There's a tremendous amount of value, as many of us have experienced. But what happens in, in this stage at most large companies? The language is analytic. The language is, is financial. The, the, uh, uh, the, the, the focus is on incrementality and squeezing out profits. And so when a, when a CMO shows up and says, I've got a great new idea, uh, really a creative idea. It's just completely at odds with the conversations that are happening and not, and yet it's still very valuable. So my only point is you have got to find a way to create openness to that conversation that you're bringing prior to just showing up and saying it. And the way you do that is, right, you know, and and it's like what I was saying earlier, you've got to create the the, um, receptivity to what you can bring and so, I think the way you do that is first speaking their language, creating a relationship, demonstrating you care about those things too. They are important. They're just as important. And then when you do that, you open up the idea that you can bring a whole new level of growth, which by the way, if you don't do that, then stage three leads to either, you know, a reinvention or or something that's kind of, you know, I'd call efficiently going out of business.
1: So if I can paraphrase Norman, first you have to use words that they understand. To create the connection, you need to speak with them in order to be able to teach them new words, in order to be able to teach them and show them and inspire them around the value. Because I don't think there are many people when you truly have their respect and you start to talk to them about the power of creativity and innovation. There aren't a lot of people that push back, but the question is, do you get to that phase? Do they trust you to be the partner in that conversation, right?
0: I love that, and uh, for those of you who haven't spent as much time with Mark as I have, you can learn something from him every time. <laughs> Let's talk about CVS.
1: I have to say, uh, if I was, you know, if somebody put a gun to my head and said, "Name me three case studies that you find inspiring," it'd be Dove and it'd be CVS uh, right up there. Uh, I think everybody read the headlines uh, that suddenly I don't know where. For, for everyone else's perspective, obviously, there's a backstory that you're going to tell us, but suddenly we read CVS is backing out of selling to, uh, tobacco.
0: Yeah,
1: Huge decision. I think the number was $2 billion. I don't even know if it was sales or profit, but it was a, a big something. Yeah. And, and it clearly was a line in the sand. It was a statement that came out of nowhere, quite frankly, for many people. And then a journey started towards health. And, and now there's almost a different company. Can you tell us, and, and where your business consultant had and your
0: CMO had, please, Tell us about the journey. Sure. Let's go, let's go back to the beginning. So CVS, you know, everybody knows it as the corner drugstore. That's what it was. As it was growing, the it became very clear that the this is going back decades, you know, it became very clear that one way to grow was to buy other chain drugstore chains. And for those of you who follow Byron Sharp, you were basically creating physical availability, right? You were putting your stores in more places, you created some efficiency on the brand side, some efficiency in operations. And that strategy really drove the company for uh, decades uh, in, of, of growth. And, and at some point, that strategy, just like we were talking, kind of starts to, you know, you get to operational efficiency and you kind of have to say, well, what's the next stage of growth? And that is when the company started to say, what, who are we? How is this going to ev- evolve and what should we do? And, you know, if you, if you kind of think of the gestalt of a pharmacist, it's like an eye level caring person in your community who helps you just be a little bit better. Right. I mean, they can't Mm -hmm. solve your big problems, but they're there for you frequently. And so there was a, um, a sense of the company within the company of just helping other people, uh, on their path to health. And, and so we started to think that that became an articulated purpose for who the company was, which was helping people on their path, to better health. And I, I, I want to talk about what purpose is versus mission in a second. But so then, then it said, well, if you're going to do that, what do you need to do beyond today? And what enables future growth? It very quickly took you into uh minute clinics, you know, uh, it's, it's a uh, uh, 1100 minute clinics, the largest retail walk-in medical clinics in the country. So you can help people that are in the stores are convenient. Yeah. Uh, and it's just taken us through an evolution. Uh, it got us, you, you could not be on that path of helping people on their path to better health and selling at the same time the number one cause of preventable death in America and profiting from that. And I am astounded that we are still the only company that claims to be about health, national retailer that claims to be about health that doesn't sell tobacco. Yeah. It is just amazing to me, and I, um, you know, I, I I think when a company's literally profiting from death, it's hard to imagine that they are also about health, uh, and I think they need to be a little bit more consistent about that. But it also highlights the difficulty in that decision. If it was easy, everybody would have done it. Yeah. And uh, and what we when we got out of that, it it uh, it changed the entire company not just from the perceptions of the people we were doing business with on our B2C, on our consumer side, but also our B2B side. We have, most people don't realize our stores are less than half our business, that we have a big B2B business. And so it did that. But more importantly, what we hear a lot about purpose is people say, you really got to take a purpose-driven act or do something because that's what consumers want. And, you know, I've, we've all seen the research people buy on purpose i think more importantly it's for your employees i mean that because the there's a the evolution of society is that people are first more connected to their companies than they are many times to their local communities you get your you know it's where you spend most of your time you get your benefits there it's your relationships it's your income i mean it's it's like a huge part and so what they want to do is participate in an organization that reflects their values, and when they see an organization meaningfully committed to something that they can believe in, it drives engagement, and that engagement drives innovation, and that innovation drives the next stage of your company. And you know, we we'll, we'll talk more about that, but but that to me is is the most important piece. The, the journey, is, we'll come back to that later, but the but the journey of CVS was. Once we got our tobacco, there were a number of other things that happened, but fundamentally the the biggest one was most recently purchasing Aetna, the insurance company. Now think about it, the corner drugstore buys a big insurance company. It just isn't, you know, it's, it's not how many people would have imagined that story going down. It would not have been possible if we were profiting from selling the number one cause of preventable death in the country. And uh, and so that enabled that, and and today uh, we are the largest healthcare company uh, in the country, number Fortune five. And so you think about that journey from your corner drugstore to becoming America's leading healthcare company. It's just it's, it's a remarkable journey. And purpose played not only a guiding light in that, but an enabler and creator of it. And as some of you may have seen in the post for this. In the process, we added $100 billion in revenue.
1: I am so sure that there's tens, hundreds of people listening to this because we see that um, we do the recording and then they get watched uh, hundreds of times afterwards. Senior marketing leaders. And they're they're thinking, okay, wait a minute, you you kind of skipped over that. So then we we started to think about what our purpose was and then we realized that it should be about health and that we therefore should sell tobacco. Whoa. So I want to just go back a little How do you get an organization, and I know it wasn't just you, but I'd love you to talk a little bit about the dynamics as as far as you're willing to go. How do you get um, a retailer that you already described makes their money in operational excellence, uh, not in marketing campaigns, that got their growth from expanding through stores? Okay, they hit a wall, they bought everything they could buy. So I, I believe there's a sense of I'm willing to listen to new ideas because I don't see a path for growth. So I, I, I get that. Mm-hmm. But then who and how do you get that to a, to a discussion around, but who are we really? And who do we really want to be before that becomes a business discussion on, okay, and how are we going to do that?
0: You know, you, you've got an organization that has somebody called the chief medical officer which does help in this, in this sort of discussion. We're lucky to have a very skilled one who can represent, if you want to be about health, what you need to do. What's been remarkable to me is many of the things that we have done haven't been unknown issues in a company or in society. And so, for example, on tobacco, the idea of the inconsistency of selling tobacco wasn't a new idea. I mean, people knew about this, probably decades before I even knew about CVS, right? They they knew about it. The the, the bigger challenge is how to make the change and how to have confidence to make the change. Because, you know, what you know for certain is you're going to lose this amount of money. Yeah. What you have a pretty good hypothesis about is if you don't make it up, you're probably going to lose your job. Now the question is, how do you have confidence that you can make up the money because yeah. it is a business. And you know, I, I think when you had Paul Pullman on, he, re- he referenced somebody else, but I, I just thought the idea to think of purpose as profitably creating a difference in people and society is a really good way to think about it. If you don't do it profitably, you will go out of business and in fact, you won't achieve your purpose. For us then, it took stepping back and saying, well, how could we make up the money? You know, I touched on it briefly, but, but there's a whole other part of our business that provides pharmacy benefits and other benefits to companies across the country. It's called Caremark. It's, it's a very large business. What we were betting on is that by selling fewer $10 packs of cigarettes, we'd close more $10 million deals on the B2B side. And indeed, that's what happened. In that industry, we became seen as much more committed to the health of uh, companies than their employees. I don't know that it was the, the single reason, but I would say on the margin of a serious business discussion, it becomes the thing that flips the de- deal over to, to us. Right. And, you know, uh, and so that, that's what drove it. So,
1: yeah, I'm trying to tie a few strings together of the conversation so far. Uh, we talked about how marketers, well, the wrong marketers are becoming isolated because they speak their own language and they're kind of dislocated from the business growth discussion. You talked about purpose and you said something very interesting. You talked first about the makeup of a pharmacist, the culture of a pharmacy organization. I'm guessing that actually very prevalent, but perhaps not on the doorline, line, was, was a culture of wanting to help people become healthier. Maybe it was defined explicitly. I remember Mark Mathieu talking about his Coke days and realizing, and uh, none of it was on the official strategy, but realizing that people all over the world were doing clean water projects because that's what they felt passionate about. And it was a logical place for a company like Coke to be active. The interesting thing is that, you know, if you look at marketers in many organizations, purpose has become one of the things that the CMO manages. It's a sort of the positioning, it feeds the communication of the company. But it actually isn't always connected back to the, that's where we came from. That's where our culture is. And that might be the source of our future business growth. I've got a gut feel that that's the marketer's way back to say, hey, of the people here, maybe I know most about the purpose or the heritage of that, the insights around it in which it feeds. I want to bring that back into a business context rather than it being just a you know, source for storytelling.
0: I think that is right. And you know, you have got to be able to show how leaning into that will drive growth for the business more than showing a chart about how people buy based on purpose. And let me just say something about that. I do believe that that is true with one condition, given everything else is equal. And it often isn't right. And so I think if you're like leaning into purpose, but you don't have the same quality product, the same desirability, the same pricing, all that sort of stuff you're actually leaning into the wrong thing. You got to fix the basics. And that basic, fixing those basics is actually helping your customers because that's what they want. Fix the basics, fix the function and lean into the purpose. And so I do think that you gotta, you've gotta you got to find a way to just connect the purpose to quantifiable growth. And um, and I, I do think that it does come from the culture and the heritage of the firm. I would also say, though, and I just want to make this point because many times the words purpose and mission get yeah, used right in, a, in an intermixed yeah. way and they're fundamentally different and there's fundamentally more power and purpose. And, and here's the difference. Mission is what you want to achieve. So I've seen things like, we want to be the finest auto manufacturer in the world or the finest financial services firm in the world, or we want to help, you know, we, that, okay. those are things that a company wants to achieve. I think they're pretty uninspiring to most employees, But they're a lot, they're they're even less inspiring to any of your customers. Mm -hmm. What is a purpose? Purpose is how you're going to help other people. And by doing so, help communities. And there is so much more emotional connectivity and power in that. And, uh, you know, I think even if you look at, um, you know, how the people who express gratitude generally, generally have a lot less stress in their life. It's Mm -hmm. fact, science, you can go look at it. But Mm -hmm. purpose is, uh, in a way, the same thing. When you're focused on how you've helped people, then you feel just a lot better about everything you're doing. And that better makes you more engaged and that more engagement drives uh, innovation. And so... As companies think about this, you know, I think that purpose many times uh, lives in the land of um, uh, a cool ad, uh, a bit of a CSR activity that's, you know, sometimes temporary, sometimes a little bit longer. And it's just not enough. I mean, you cannot be a purpose-driven brand unless you are first a purpose-driven company.
1: Well, you know, Norman, a penny just dropped for me. You know, we had Jim Stengel on recently, and um, he's a good friend. We've been talking about purpose for, I don't know, 15 years now. And um, he used to say that as a CMO at Procter, if somebody came to him with a positioning statement that didn't elevate to purpose, he thought, he said, that they're lazy marketeers. They haven't done the deep thinking of, but I want to take that a step further now, because what I'm hearing you say, I think we can go a step further. The CMO that isn't able to translate purpose into concrete innovation projects that lead to business growth that are inspired by the purpose. They're lazy marketers. And in fact, they are stuck in the
0: comms world rather than a business world. I love it. And, and, and actually gets to, it's a great articulation of what the job of a marketer is first and foremost, which is to bring the consumer or customer lens into the formation of the products and services for the organization to be uniquely helping their audience. And that is exactly it. And you got yeah. it, it you know, you yeah. take your purpose and then you say, well, what should we do that's profitable to deliver on that? And I think that is a great way for marketers to become relevant. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, so we're, I, I we're also we're think out. that right. it takes you from focusing on your competitors to focusing more on consumer needs. Fundamentally, what companies need to do is solve their consumer or a customer pain points better than anyone else, and everything else will, will, will work. You, you don't, you, yeah. the, the amount of energy you spend focusing on your competitors, you should only spend to the extent that you can learn how to sol- solve a customer pain point better than you are today, but your focus should be entirely on that customer, and, and to your point, Mark, it should be guided by what you're trying to do for those customers. Well, isn't it, so bring it, I mean, if we just reflect on COVID, we, we did a um, poll with the,
1: the 100 CMOs that were participating in last year's uh, IRG program. Basically, what they said was where before COVID, every boardroom, every executive committee of the stakeholders, the customer was always represented and the capital market was represented well. Are we making our customers happy and are we making our shareholders happy? In one day, the conversation and the focus flipped to are our colleagues okay? And are we doing what we need to do in the community? I'm convinced that you now have a very clear purpose as an organization. Do you think you were able to move faster and truer? That's probably not really English. When COVID struck, because you're so clear about your purpose
0: as CVS? So let's just take um, uh, what's happening uh, that COVID was a really good example of. But essentially, you've got a faster and faster moving cycle of innovation and communities. And we've all seen those charts, right? Everything's changing faster, right? So we've all got a version of that chart somewhere in a deck somewhere. (laughs) The only Um, constant is change. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, And, um, and so uh, imagine now, if you have one location uh, or uh, one, you know, you're all together as a company, I think you can have a different answer, but most companies have offices all over the world they have, or, or, or stores, like we have 10,000 stores, 10,000 little nodes everywhere, right? And so in a, in a, in a time of, I don't want to, it wasn't really chaos, but it was, you know, let's just use that as a word that says it was confusing and there was a lot going on and a lot of change happening very quickly. It's really hard. Like, how are you going to tell everybody around the world or everybody in 10,000 locations how to behave? You don't know. You don't even know what's happening every day. And so what purpose is, is in a way, and I hesitate to use this term, but I do think it's if if you know, just go with me for a second. It's it's mm-hmm. the religion. It doesn't tell you everything to do in every moment, but it gives you a set of guiding principles around which to drive your behavior. Uh, and even if you know, you can go to the military on this, by the way, and how uh, how they've had to restructure from top down to bottom up, and and how the the enemies that they're working with. Are much more distributed aligned against an ideology but that is the same idea everybody knows how to operate without having up and down communication and direction all the time and that is exactly what purpose is and so in times where there's faster movement uh uncertainty the idea of a purpose actually can drive movement towards achieving the same thing even if it's not the same actions in all those specific locations yeah so I mean, the new
1: thing That I think, at least for me, has come out of this conversation much more explicitly than before, is that I think a lot of CMOs probably see their role as including creating inspiration internally around the purpose. As a, you know, that's what binds us, it it builds our culture. But we're adding we're we're screwing the the onus on, okay, but you need to turn that into what you know about customers because you're on the front line or you're in the production facility, or you're in a lab somewhere, and turn it into innovation, turn it into the next level of how are we fulfilling needs. Right? Well, and that-
0: I think that that's right, but let me just add a, a piece to that, which is it's not just about the, uh, uh, an organization saying, like marketing saying, here's some new products that, that, that could deliver on that purpose. What you need is the whole organization thinking about how to deliver on that purpose. You have to do something that is so, such a meaningful commitment to that purpose that everybody in that organization believes that if they take another action to also be towards that purpose, their career will be rewarded. And when you can create that, then the innovation comes from everywhere. And you and I have talked about this, but if I look at what happened after tobacco, yeah, the number of innovations that happened, but they all happened at the, at the kind of, the, let's say, the mid-level of the organization. So let me just give you a, 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 a few examples um, of things that happened. Yeah. It became very clear to our, some of our merchants that they should take action. It's very simple. Some of them are really simple. Like uh, one merchant said, hey, I realize that sunscreen with SPF below 15 doesn't yeah. work. I'm taking it off my shelves. Now, she was making money at selling that product. She took it off her shelves. She got rewarded for doing that. She made, made up the numbers. Uh, we were the first national retailer to get out of artificial trans fats and all the foods we sell because it's, they're not good for people. We decided that there was a significant issue in, in beauty imagery in the marketplace. And what we did, we said, we want transparency about beauty imagery. And we leveled the playing field for the industry by saying everybody, every major supplier, every supplier selling beauty in our stores has to disclose if their images are transparent or, not, or, or altered or not. And these all you mean like uh, Photoshop? Photoshop, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And, so and, uh, very much in line with the Dove Real Beauty original heritage, but now- yeah, Very America. much in line with that, but across the industry. And I think, you know, uh, I, the Dove Real Beauty case is one of the best cases in, in the history, in history. So I'm not trying to take anything away from it. But the difference oh. between that and this was that this, uh, this created a level playing field so that all beauty ma- uh, vendors or CPGs could say, I can- They now have to change their imagery for us, but they're not going to be at a disadvantage because every other CPG has to do it too. And so it it created energy in the industry. I mean, another one came up in our pharmacy side. When EpiPen went to $600, the pharmacy side said, this is crazy. I mean, you guys got to really understand this. Like $600 uh, forces a a mom to choose between the health of her child or feeding her child. And that's just, nobody wants to be in that position. So people on our pharmacy side went to a generic manufacturer, committed to a certain amount of volume, and came out with a generic equivalent that with a coupon was $10. And it just keeps going. My point is that none of these, not a single thing I just mentioned, came from the top. They all came from people in the organization who believed that their career would be enhanced and rewarded by delivering on the purpose.
1: Yeah, and not only did it not come from the top, but it also didn't come from marketing. So we don't have to invent these things. We don't have to tell people what it is. We have to inspire people to believe that, that they actually can innovate around their understanding of the purpose and then apply it to what they know about the customer and what they feel is needed,
0: right? Totally. And if you think about the job of marketing is building a brand and building connections with consumers, it doesn't have to be about communications. You could, your, your best partner might be the head of HR because by creating that culture, you are achieving the objectives of your job just in a very different way than has traditionally been defined.
1: Yeah, it takes me to an example. I think I've quoted it once before, forgive me. But to me, it's the epitome of a great marketer. It was at, um, a, a telco company in Europe that was uh, being launched with the positioning of Robin Hood. basically. It wasn't Virgin. Virgin has that positioning now. And the, the marketing department did a fantastic job of really stewarding that through the whole organization. Everybody understood it, including accounting and so forth. And then a, an accounting person came back, or a finance person came back to the marketer and said, I understand our positioning. I have a troubling inconsistency in what we do. And the marketer was like, what are you talking about? He said, well, people come into our shops, they choose a phone and they choose a plan and we help them choose the right plan, we think, based on what they tell us. But after a month, we know, because we see the phone data, that a third of the people are on the wrong plan, are paying too much and we're not telling them. And it came from accounting, someone in accounting. The marketer didn't know that.
0: I love that, right?
1: And they that's changed crazy. it, and they were the first in market to say, you know, go as you, as you, as you call, plan. And right. it became a huge differentiator.
0: I love that. Um, that that yeah. is a great example coming out of accounting, looking at that. I, I just think yeah. that's the power yeah. of an engaged employee base.
1: Looking forward now, I mean, it's, it's really impressive how CVS has basically, I think, in many ways, gone back to the core pharmacy and now developed a, a solution set which is much broader in the IRG we call that an abundant market yeah. philosophy strategy now you're on the board of the MMA you're on the board of the ANA these are originally comms based organization at the ANA advertising mobile marketing association um, which is also a lot about communication how do you bring marketers perhaps the whole new generation that don't know better How do you bring them, how do you build the capability at industry level to get marketers to think and act like this? Well,
0: it's a great question, Mark. I think that there's a cycle that we need to build on, which is I'm not sure that the right talent is being attracted into the marketing profession because of the way the marketing profession is defining itself. (laughs) And and, and yet it can be capable of so much more. self
1: fulfilling prophecy.
0: Yes, that's right, and so uh, and yet, I, I listen. I have worked in uh, I've worked in startups, I've worked in management consulting, I've worked in investment management, I've worked at a company, I've worked at a I run an agency. It's the most interesting job in corporate America marketing. It, it, it is the most fun, the most interesting, and yet it's not attracting the talent, the right talent. Not some of the right talent, but not all the right talent. I think, you, you know, I've been a big fan of, of course, what you, what you were doing. I, I just think we need a bit of a reboot um, uh, on the whole thing. And if you redefine the job, which has happened in some places, but I don't think that's actually to say it's about driving customer driven growth. I think that's right. Now, that is not always the same as a chief growth officer, because sometimes chief growth officer uh, doesn't include uh, some of the stuff that I think should be from marketing that should be included but if you said that and you said to the people going into management consulting that the advantage of our job is not only do you get to think about all the frameworks and strategy you actually get to make it happen yeah. and by the way it's a lot more emotional and fun uh you know that but what we're starting with a lot of times is what's the fun and that's not just to go very back to the the, the theme we've been talking about that is not a language of success in corporate America.
1: No, 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 exactly. No, so are, so are people, I mean, um, you know more about this. Uh, I know that uh, all the, the, the big advertising associations, whether it's the WFA or the ANA, there are initiatives to, to, um, to collaborate with universities and so, but those are the people coming in right at the start of the career. Are there initiatives on the way that you know of, I don't know them, where you are reaching out to management consulting, to business consulting, to other areas where there are maybe whole brain thinkers that think in terms of different business concepts, not just the analytical, the hard analytics, which are just as necessary as the creative, but where you get them more of a whole brain approach and saying to people, have you considered marketing?
0: There are organizations trying. I don't know of a strong enough effort at scale Mm -hmm. at the moment. Um, it has gotten to the point where within CVS, as you and I have been talking, we're just going to create our own institute for developing the talent because we can't even see an or a place from which we could consistently recruit talent that has all the skills that we want. And I'm not I'm not criticizing any organization. I'm just mm-hmm. saying. You know, we, we don't, you know, we even have work to do, but, but we have decided that we just have to create our own marketing Institute because it's such a unique sort of reboot. And it, it's one of these things that might take 10 years. Oh yeah. And by yeah. the way, you know, we've talked a lot about business and frameworks and all this stuff. The creativity is immensely important. Everything we're talking about is creating room for that creativity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The license to be able to, uh, yeah, it's so funny. My analysis is that uh, as a marketing industry, 10 years ago, uh, maybe 15 years ago, we were known as the spenders that didn't quite, couldn't quite measure what our effectiveness was and so we I think a lot of marketers that are over the age of 40 so in leadership roles have a chip on their shoulder about this lack of measurements and then came you know the bells and whistles of digital and you could measure things forget about what it was the right thing you were measuring but you could measure things so you get an explosion of new metrics and and data I mean there's so many organizations now where the data and analytics are not just important but actually dominating they and what, what my sense is, is that there needs to be a course correction to say, no, no, you need that whole brained approach because you, 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 you can't uh, innovate yourself out with the, You can't
0: innovate with data analytics. You can, you can set the stage for it. That's huh? exactly right. And by the way, you can optimize yourself out of business. You, you, you know, what you can exactly. continually do is say, well, what's got the highest return? Just do more of that, less of these other things, more of that, more of that. And eventually You're going to like sell one high margin product to one customer in a parking lot because it's the highest margin thing you're doing. And and so the data and analytics, while crucial and important as an input, I think it it almost went too far in some places because marketing was so desperate to prove that it was also analytical and data driven, that it created negative impacts. It's business driven, not just analytical driven. Norman, uh, we made a list of things to
1: talk about. I think we got to the second point of 11. So we knew that was gonna happen, but I I don't wanna close. We've got a minute and a half. Before um, I started with personal questions and I wanna end with one. You truly are, in my mind, one of um, the leaders of the industry. And there's a lot of people looking on here in our IRG program or just uh, signing in to learn and listen. If there's one thing that you've learned along the way that you 'd like to pass across
0: to these marketing leaders, what would it be? think about how you 're going to build confidence. It sounds really dry and simple, but confidence with your team, confidence with your business partners it, it will enable you to do everything you want to do and um, and when you build confidence in your team they 're able to ch- achieve more than they can achieve they think they can achieve uh, and believe in them so I just think this idea of how do you do that really strategically, really thoughtfully is uh, is really the key to getting to where the impact that you want to have. And Norman,
1: uh, I said, I'd make it personal. Does that start with personal confidence? Do you work on your personal confidence?
0: Well, it's certainly not about being overconfident. It's, uh, it's about having a calm confidence uh, and, and, um, and listening, but it is about having a determination. You know, like you, you've gotta know that what you're gonna do is gonna make a difference that people are gonna value, and you gotta just stick with it and get there. So, and, and it does, but I, I would just be careful to say it's not about overconfidence. It's not mm-hmm. about, it's, it's about calm confidence.
1: Hey, uh, Norman, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I hope that you are gonna remain a partner with IRG. Thank you again
0: for being here. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. Always enjoy the conversation.